0: Hi everyone, I'm Rachel. And I'm Maria, and we're the hosts of Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed
1: with dementia. We hope this episode helps you feel more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. We have the pleasure of speaking with our new friend, Jackie, from the Instagram account FTD A Love Story. Jackie, welcome to Remember Me. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. Tonight, we are going to talk all about your sweet mom, Tammy, who you are now caregiving for. And... I know you're a listener of the podcast. So you know that we're just gonna jump right into it and ask you, you know, what was that first interaction or moment where you're like, something's just not right with my mom?
2: So my mom's diagnosis is actually relatively recent. Uh, She got diagnosed in October of 2020. uh, So less than a year ago, I Suspected that something was off, I would say probably starting 2018, 2019, I was adamant that something was
1: wrong. And what were some of those things that you were noticing that you're like, something's not quite right? She became very forgetful.
2: You know, I would tell her a story, I would have a phone conversation with her, and we'd have this long talk about, you know, whatever subject. And then I'd go and I'd reference it a day later, a week later, and she would say, oh, first I hear of it or no, you never told me that you must've told your father. And, you know, I very clearly and vividly remember having conversations with her and giving her certain information that she just wasn't retaining. We obviously all attributed it to, oh, maybe she's not paying attention or she's stressed out. She has so much on
0: her mind that she just forgot. What variant was she diagnosed with? The behavioral variant. Okay. Were there any kind of quirky behaviors that you noticed or was it just the forgetfulness? What started with the forgetfulness was pretty much the same for, I would say two years,
2: you know, and and she and I, we would argue about it. Like, mom, you're not paying attention to me. Come on. (laughs) And then what happened was, and I'll just disclose some of my own personal story because it ties in very much. In late 2018, I got engaged and I got married soon after. It was a very quick wedding. I got married April of 2019. We were split by August 2019. So it was a very quick and stressful time, both for me, for my family, and my mom took it very hard.
1: Mm.
2: I think she suffered more than I did when it happened. So a lot of this came up when we were planning for the wedding. Like she and I went to look at invitations. I had my heart set on this one type of invitation. And the day that I was supposed to go and put down deposit, she told me, no, absolutely not. It's ugly. She doesn't want it. So, you know, to me, I was like, oh, you know, instead of having a bridezilla, I have a momzilla. (laughs) (laughs) My mom was very stressed out with the wedding planning. And I said, listen, mom, my bridesmaids are going to plan this. I want you to just take a break. And this is the date where, that we're doing the shower. And this is the date that I'm going to Nashville for my bachelorette party because it was all in the same week. She said, okay, fine. Like glad I don't have to pay for it. <laughs> and two days later, we were talking in the bridesmaid chat and my mom was in it and they were talking about the bridal shower and the phone calls happened. What do you mean they're planning your shower? I'm planning your shower. And it led to this whole big explosion and a huge fight. But again, now I know what to attribute it to. And and she was also saying some inappropriate things to the bridesmaids. We took that as, okay, this is Momzilla over here. We even right. gave her the nickname for when she was like misbehaving with this whole process. It was when Tammy went from Tammy to Tam-Tam. Oh. And it was the Tam-Tam. <laughs> it was like, it was a running joke <laughs> where I'm like, oh yeah, Tam-Tam's acting up. You know, obviously like this is her wedding she's just going to do what she's going to do. So... That happened. Also, looking back in that 2018, 2019 time period, she had lost her job several times. I was going to
1: ask if she is working. Okay.
2: Yeah. She built a career in the fashion industry in New York City, as glamorous as can be, you know, all things designer. She's a beautiful woman. So she worked in the garment district doing sales for a very long time, ever since college. She went to FIT and she just started losing her jobs. I think she lost two or three. And what we learned about the most recent job that she lost last year, I think it must have been April, when she got laid off over this whole COVID time period, she actually didn't understand what was needed of her. And it was like the second COVID
0: hit, a switch flipped. And that is when we saw some really rapid deterioration. And is that what led you guys to seek medical attention? Was that kind of progressive? Okay.
2: Yeah. And for years, I would tell my mom, mom, please go see a therapist. Like, I think you're depressed. I think you're this. I think you're that. Like, please go talk to someone. Now, my mom is an immigrant from the former Soviet Union. I mean, as is my father. So culturally, mental health is just not a thing that's spoken about there. So for me to say, hey, mom, I think you might want to talk to a therapist, you know, it's uh, it's almost like a very degrading thing to say to her. Mm -hmm. Like, how dare you say that to me? So she never did. So then again, like COVID hits and now we're all home and I want to be very like honest and transparent. I was not on speaking terms with my mom when this happened because I needed to distance myself from my family when I was getting divorced. I mentioned that she took it very hard. Now I know it was the disease, but when I split from him, I would get phone calls from her 10 times a day, begging me to get back together with him. And I could not do that. It was dangerous for me to do so. And I would say to her like, "Ma, how can you tell me to get back with someone who had addictive tendencies and abusive tendencies? You know, I'm better off without him. I had to just not talk to anybody and just deal with this on my own.
0: Yeah. There's a level of self-preservation that you just have to maintain.
2: Yeah. I mean, I do have some level of guilt about that because, you know, had someone told me that she has this terminal illness back then, I would have reacted differently.
1: Who knew? But how could you have known, right? And your mom
2: is in her fifties, right? She was diagnosed at 56. She turned 57 in January.
1: How could you have like literally how could you have known?
2: I mean, we couldn't. This is the last thing we expected. We thought that, you know, all of the stress from losing her job and um or multiple jobs and my divorce and COVID and you know, whatever struggles she's having, she, you know, personal ones. You would just never guess it's
1: this. Right. She just sounded from what you're telling us, she sounded difficult like she couldn't be reasoned with you know was just very repetitive and like what she was saying to you couldn't really explain like what was going on with her job like it just sounds like it was just a lot of confusion and chaos that you just needed to kind of step away from
2: it was a lot and my mom's natural character like I have a very Russian mom this is tough love, difficult character. It runs in the genetics. Like I got it from her. I, I own it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, she, she was just a very tough personality. You know, she loved fiercely mm-hmm. and she practiced that tough love. So for us, butting heads, this
1: is just how it's been my whole life. How did you, you, you even get her into the doctor? I so, know that's commonly a difficult task with behavioral variant.
2: Yeah. So COVID hits, it's March of 2020. I'm not on speaking terms with my parents, um, doing my own, you know, self-care, quarantine, divorcing in the process thing. My grandma on my dad's side became my best friend and she was my eyes and my ears of everything going on with my mom, as was my brother, as was his fiance. You know, they would tell me mom's acting weird. And something is very off. She's a little bit loopy. She's not remembering things. She's not acting like herself anymore. And everyone was begging my dad to make a doctor's appointment for her, go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, someone, anyone, just Mm -hmm. to figure out what this is, because we all thought that she was depressed.
0: I have a question. We had this problem with my dad where he was just like adamant about not going, just nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine. If you guys were to ask her, like, do you think you're okay? Or do you think something is wrong with you? Would she be able to step back and be like, yeah, something's not right. No, it's all you guys.
2: It was us saying, or my father really saying, you know, Tammy, something's not right. I need for you to get checked out. And initially she would just say, and I quote, your father thinks I'm crazy. And to this day, she doesn't actually understand that she has this illness. She doesn't comprehend it at all. So what happened was, so my mom used to work out four or five, six days a week. She would go to the gym. The gym's closed over COVID. And, you know, my mom always had this gorgeous body and uh, always the most well-dressed, well-presented person, the hair, the makeup, just everything, you know, perfection. So she would go to the middle school track in the middle of the day and, you know, do her little power walking. And when she was out of the house, this is when she was still employed, she asked my dad to just monitor her emails And if an email came in, you know, he would call her, be like, you know, do you want me to respond or are you going to wait until you're home? Anything like that. Because she was only gone for maybe an hour. So while she would go on her exercise power walks, my dad, I guess, would snoop her email because it would ding and he would have to open it. Maybe it's her boss. And he started reading some of the interactions. And he saw that whatever she was responding and whatever she was saying didn't make any sense. If someone asked her a question, she didn't answer it. You know, she would just send something. So that's when he started recognizing that something more serious was going on. Then um, her office actually briefly opened. She goes back to work. Within that week, she loses her job. Wow. She came home. She said she got laid off. Only later on did we get it out of her that she
1: asked to be fired. I always wonder like with this part, were you able to go back and like talk to anyone there or was anyone there trying to contact you guys like concerned for her? Because I think with the behavioral variant, it's so challenging because people can kind of put on like 80% of like a front that they're okay. And people just, I wonder what people, the employers are thinking, you know, so. She had just gotten this job
2: right before lockdown. She was very okay. new, so they didn't know her well. So we don't actually fully understand what was happening in that dynamic. Could she have said something inappropriate? Yes, she could have. You know, Could she have been not doing what she was hired to do? Yes, absolutely. We just don't know. And there's no asking her at this point. The right. only thing she blurted out during one of her doctor's appointments was that she actually asked to be laid off because she wanted to claim unemployment. And they were like,
1: okay, sounds
0: good.
2: Well, her boss called her in because she wasn't meeting whatever markers they had in sales that she needed to meet, right? She wasn't performing. So I guess he wanted to have a conversation with her. And supposedly she said something like, well, then just fire me.
0: Hmm.
2: You know, not realizing that that's going to cut her income and- you know, be a little bit detrimental to the finances in right. our household. Right. So he said, okay. And then she went home that day and never worked again.
1: Wow. And when, what month was this?
2: I think it was April. It had to have been late April or like early May. Okay. Then in early May of 2020, I got laid off because of COVID. I mean, it it all worked out just fine. You know, I got a job soon after, but <laughs> I had called my grandma And I told her that I lost my job and she called my dad. So I, that day went on a very long walk. You know, I was angry. I was upset. I was crying. Um, I went on a walk. And by the time I got back to my apartment, I see my parents standing outside my front door. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen them since probably January of 2020. Haven't spoken to them and they're standing outside of my front door. So what am I gonna do? You know, you know, I invited them right. in. fine, you know, stand six feet away from me, but come on in. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I remember I looked at my mom and her eyes were glazed. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, you know, when someone is like on a specific medication, sometimes that happens. Right. That's what she looked like, but she's not
1: medicated. Right. I was gonna say, did she look so different to you in just you know, that span of time? She looked confused. Okay.
2: When I looked at her, like
1: it was as if she didn't know what was going
2: on. And, you know, she took a seat on my couch and, you know, my dad is there and he's talking to me like, what's your plan? What are you going to do? Can we be supportive? And my mom is going and she's playing with my kettlebells and my weights and she's not paying attention. And I had a cardio machine and she's there and she's hopping on it and hopping off of it. And then she asks me things like, how long have you lived in Astoria? how long did you work at this job? All of these things that
1: she should know. What's going through your mind at this point?
2: I had known something was off with her. I obviously did not see how bad it had gotten. So this was the first time that I actually saw something was serious. And so a couple of hours later, my parents leave the house. And once they left, I texted my dad and I said, you need to get her help and you need to get her help fast. And he asked me why. And I said, you know why? Mm -hmm. Because I was not the first person to tell him this. He had heard it from my grandmother. He had heard it from my brother. He had heard it from other family members that something was off. It
1: feels so common that the spouse is sometimes the last to want to admit that there's a problem. I mean, I don't want to speak
2: for him, but it could also be like some sort of denial.
0: Of course. Like how
2: can my best friend who I've created this life with behave this way? Right. And it's very difficult to wrap your head around it. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, when he lives with her day in and day out, maybe those changes aren't as apparent as they are to someone who's not seeing her every day. Right, right, right.
1: And he might be trying to protect her. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I found as I looked back with my dad, it's like, You know, maybe sometimes people didn't notice that my mom wasn't talking as much because my dad was filling in the blank for her or like, I don't know, trying to not intentionally trying to cover up that there was a problem, but just trying to make her look good, you know, because that's like his person. So I get it. I
2: know I, I, I get it as well. So, you know, with COVID and making doctor's appointments, this became a production and we finally got an appointment for her at some point in August of 2020, that was when the doctor's appointment started. So she actually got the diagnosis relatively quickly. Yeah. And during COVID, wow. Yeah. Between August and I think the diagnosis came like October 2nd. So this was very fast where, you know, they did all of the scans and the spinal taps and all of those little tests, like connect the dots. And I remember talking to my now. Now we're on speaking terms, obviously. Um, at some point that summer, we all said the "I'm sorry"s and just moved on. But I remember talking to my dad when he was taking her to and from all the doctor's appointments, and he was just completely startled at how you know she couldn't connect the dots or complete whatever pattern they were showing her. And that's when this became even more of a red flag that something was, in fact, off. None of the doctors actually said anything about FTD or some form of dementia. They were all like, this is probably just really bad depression. We're going to get her going to um, a psychiatrist and a psychologist and they put her on Zoloft. And then they sent her to a specialist out in New Jersey somewhere for, I don't even remember what kind of a scan it was, but that was when we had the diagnosis of FTD. And we didn't even know what it was. It was sent in an email. It said, um, she has no, it was was in in an email, email? it was in an email. Yeah, I Uh, think that's
1: a first, Rachel.
0: So the doctor decided to let your family know, like, hey, wanted to be in touch and let you know we got the hope this email finds you well.
2: (laughs) So there was like an exchange that happened with the doctor. Um, they were going back and forth, back and forth on the day that we were supposed to get the diagnosis. And my dad just wasn't following any of it because they were throwing like all of this information at him. Mm -hmm. So I think he emailed her saying like, so what is the actual diagnosis? Like, just be very blunt. And it was like a two sentence email uh, saying the diagnosis is mild neurocognitive decline due to FTD. Now, this is not my mom's primary neurologist. This was the specialist That was then communicating with the primary neurologist with this diagnosis after their findings, because they needed some special tests that we couldn't get in a good amount of
0: time in New York. So we were outsourced to Jersey. Fine. I cannot believe that a medical professional thought, I'm going to go ahead and drop this bomb. Like after they sent that email, was there a follow-up email? Yeah.
1: What what was the... (laughs) Follow up I with mean, us or come in when I, COVID's done. Here's or... a
2: pamphlet. So I don't actually know, but my dad forwards us this email, us, meaning my brother and I, and he writes, go figure question mark. Like my dad, none of none of us have never, like who has heard of FT? Nobody. So I'm sitting there, you know, consulting Google because now I'm becoming a neurologist as many of, of us do. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading about the life expectancy, and I'm reading about the deterioration, and I'm like, "What? Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, 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 this can't be." My mom is 56 years old.
1: My heart is like hurting just thinking about like what that must have been
0: like. um, Your dad receives this email. Does he then tell your mom? I'm not sure. That puts your dad in such a hard spot being the person to tell you, your brother, family, the mom that it's like, that's so. And then, you know, you have to get the second opinion. I think we took her for like four different
2: opinions. We went to a million different hospitals. And this is interesting. One of the people we took her to for a second opinion says, no, this isn't dementia. She goes, I know what this is and we're going to cure her. She said, it's uh." a form of an autoimmune encephalitis, a disease of the blood that masks the symptoms of dementia. And if you research it, yes, this does exist. So she said, here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna take her into the hospital for like nine or 10 days, and we're gonna clean out all of her blood because we need to give her clean plasma, right? Like this disease lives in the plasma. And then once she's cleaned out, she will get back to normal or as close to normal as possible. Wait, what?
1: Did you do that? Yes. Was she under? No, she wasn't under. So okay. this was, now oh, it's November. God. No, no, no. Okay. Now it's
2: November. For
1: nine days.
2: Maria. For nine No, days she at, at, at
1: least for like part of it. Oh my God. No. So the, we. There was no anesthesia involved, correct? No,
2: it's literally, it's just like, it's like They're you're like, donating blood. But you're just sitting in that.
0: Um,
1: Rachel, mm-hmm. do you know what this is? I've heard you. I've never heard of somebody cleaning the
0: blood. It's like a never. machine. They yeah. put it in, they bring the machine and it pulls the blood out,
1: cleans it, back in it goes. Yeah. I've never you, heard of you, it
0: with FTD though. You
2: sit there for a few hours.
1: Mm-hmm. So this oh, doctor. She probably couldn't sit still either if she has behavioral.
2: She did. She did. She actually sat still. This is before like the more rapid decline, which happened soon after. So, you know, we brought her into the hospital. She stayed for nine days. My dad stayed with her and slept on the little like couch and it was, it was just nuts. He was running home. He was cooking her meals so that she doesn't have to eat hospital food. You know, I, I was living in New Jersey at the time. So I took off of work and I went to visit her you know, one of those days I was there on the weekend. My brother went to visit her. Her parents went to visit her to keep her busy. You know, she has a tiny little 13 inch TV in the room and she can't go outside. It was a very stressful nine days. And then did she
0: understand any of this. No. Like, why am I in here? Okay.
2: She, I mean, she knew they were going to clean the blood and that it was supposed to make her feel better. So by the end of it, when she came home, I came home that day, like with flowers, like, you know, it's good to see you. Welcome home. And I asked her how she feels. She goes, I feel all better now. But no, you know, it it wasn't this encephalitis. The doctor then said, oh, um, you know, we're going to, we can put her on this prescription and that prescription because sometimes the encephalitis doesn't leave the system, but I'm still convinced that that's it. And this was like a family feud about whether or not we're going to put her through all of this treatment. We didn't and ultimately that's for the best because no matter what we put her through it's not going to help and she ended up slightly traumatized after her experience at the hospital where still sometimes to this day when we drive past it she'll point and say oh that's where they stuck needles in me did you have hope did you think
0: i
1: that was just gonna it? Ask that
2: so i think in my gut i knew this wasn't going to help yeah i didn't want to act on that and put that energy out there Right. But Mm -hmm. I figured if there is some small chance that it can help her, why not try? Mm -hmm. And I remember even when the doctor was like, oh, after the blood, we'll do this prescription, that prescription. And if it gets really bad, like they do chemo. And I was just like, at that point, I was like, does it make sense to try? Because we want to execute all of our options or is this just going to hurt her even more? Right. And I'm also not the one making the primary decisions. Yes, I'm a right. part of them. Right, right. But yeah. I'm I'm very glad at this point that we didn't do it because right now the focus is just giving her, you know, the best quality of life.
1: So oh. at what point did things kind of settle in for your primary care team, the, the family unit that like it's FTD, let's come up with a game plan, like this is what's happening?
2: With my dad, my brother, and myself, that set in relatively quickly. Okay. With the extended family, to this day, there's still some denial. And this is after taking her um, to Mount Sinai and Columbia Medical Center. And, uh, you know, that place out in Jersey and Northwell Health. We took her to Stony Brook, the um, center for Alzheimer's there. And everyone gives the same diagnosis at this point. Like it is a very textbook version of what FTD looks
1: like. Now at all these different medical centers, have you received any sort of guidance on her care or what to look out for or you know what what is kind of I know there's no treatment, but what are the doctors giving you when you her, leave? her main doctor, who I actually happen
2: to really like, I think she has a very good bedside manner. I think that the way she articulates what it is that's going on is very professional. She said, look, you know, I'm really sorry your family has to go through this. It's hard. And this is only the beginning. Um, Now we're more in the moderate stages. But she said, you know, there's no easy way to put it. But we need to start having those conversations about power of attorney and the will and What's going to happen next? And I know that everyone's FTD timeline looks different and people deteriorate differently. But ultimately, you know, my mom and my dad always wanted to move down to Florida, get a condo down there and retire and do the whole, you know, snowbird thing that many New Yorkers do. To this day, I think my dad still wants to execute that dream. So our house in Long Island is currently up for sale and he wants to buy a unit in Florida. And do the snowbird thing, like have a unit in New York, have something in Florida and travel back and forth. And I'm like, dad, you know, you're not going to be able to really do that. The more she deteriorates, she's not going to be able to travel, not on a plane, not in the car, you know, eventually she might need a wheelchair. And the doctor said the same thing. She goes, look, you know, if you think about going back and forth, think again, because that's not sustainable long term.
0: Is she behavioral still? Do you guys still see like the quirky kind of, I remember in the moderate stage, my dad did a lot of pacing, a lot of repeating what I said. She does. She repeats a lot. You know, I'll call, I have
2: to FaceTime her. She can't use a cell phone anymore, but she knows how to answer a FaceTime. So I FaceTime her every day and I'll say, you know, hi, how are you? She'll say, good. What'd you do today? Nothing. No, mom, I know you did something today. Tell me about your day. What did you do this morning? Nothing. Okay. Did you go outside? Yes. Where did you go outside? Outside. Okay. Where outside? To the park. What park? To the park. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like, it's like pulling teeth, but I want to try and get some conversation out of her. So she has that. She stares out the window all the time. All the time because she thinks I'm outside. She thinks my brother is outside. She keeps seeing my ex-husband everywhere. He doesn't live in New York. (laughs) Interestingly enough, I just want to point out that she's regressing. She doesn't speak English anymore. Like she speaks mostly Russian.
1: Is that what she grew up speaking? Yeah,
2: because she was from Ukraine. She was born in Ukraine.
1: Okay. That's interesting. My mom actually – my mom's first language was Greek and she couldn't speak it anymore. That was the first thing to go. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But now she's speaking in Russian. Okay. So can, yeah, can so you speak Russian with her or
2: I can speak Russian. I have enough fluency where I can hold a conversation in Russian. I guess her go-to now is Russian. She still speaks English, but sometimes she doesn't know when to differentiate between the two. Got it. How has this all been for you? When we got the diagnosis, I'm very much like, I need a game plan. I need to figure this out. You know, do all of the research in all the world. Um, That's also why I started the Instagram account, because I needed to learn more about it. And I also wanted to bring awareness. And my mom is the type of person where she doesn't take no for an answer. So if you're telling me that there's no cure, I'm going to do everything in my power to make noise so that one day there is a cure. So I'm doing this very much in honor of her. Because she can't scream. She can't yell about this, but I can, so I will. However, I went through a period where I just shut down completely. I'm not the most emotional person. I don't cry very often. I was crying every single day and I just didn't know what to do with myself. And, you know, freaking out about what's to come and her not being there for all of these milestones that I have ahead of me, my brother has ahead of him. I cry to this day for my dad. Cause that's the hardest thing for me is to see him lose his best friend. He, he's so lost without her, but at the same time, my mom and I, since the day I was born have fought. So you can always count on us screaming <laughs> at each other. Always, <laughs> always, always, always. And now like, again, she wasn't like that lovey dovey kind of mom. No, by, by no means. You know, if, if I said, if I came home and I said, I got a 99 on a test, she'd look at me and be like, well, why not a hundred? Don't come back until you get a hundred. She was one of those very tough. And now she is just so like happy every single day. You know, she doesn't fully understand what's going on. She has my dad who takes care of her and we don't butt heads anymore because there's nothing to butt heads about. And I've learned about me that I built up all of these walls that every single time I would go to my parents' house or I knew I had to see or speak to my mom, the walls would go up. Because I'm like, oh, am I on the defense today? Are we going to fight? Is there, like, are we going to have an explosion? Now it's not like that. And, like, in a very twisted but beautiful way, I have this relationship with my mom that I've kind of always wanted just under such horrible circumstances. So I do try and see the beauty in it. You know, I take her to get her nails done now. I take her to get her hair done now. You know, I ask her about the doggies that she plays with and I joke with her. And, and we were in Florida together and like I buried her in the sand. My fashionista, always put together mom, would never be buried in the sand, ever. Could not pay her to do that because she would ruin the designer bikini. It just was not going to happen. <laughs> but now, you know, there's like a lightheartedness with her. It's incredibly sad. And, you know, I grapple with it every day. But if this is like the universe or God's way of just giving me a brief moment in time where I have that kind of relationship with my mom, let me focus on the beauty of that. That's
0: really well said. I'm very emotional because Father's Day just passed. So I'm getting teary eyed. Yeah. I don't want to make anybody else cry. Maria, don't look at me. Okay. I won't. (laughs) It was, that was a really good way and a very good outlook. So so early
1: in the journey to be able to pinpoint that.
0: But that's going to be your self-preservation for when things get really difficult because they are going to get not great.
2: And it's like every day there's something new. Yeah. And I know one day, you know, she might not know who I am. Like I am mentally preparing for that.
0: Was she ever into music of any kind?
2: (sighs) My dad is like... uh has an unpaid side gig as a DJ where he will blast his (laughs) iPhone with all of the Euro pop music (laughs) and also Pitbull because he really likes Pitbull. so funny. (laughs) So my parents, like at home, if it's a Saturday afternoon and they're cooking dinner or whatever, the music is blasting and sometimes they dance with each other. It's adorable. They still do that. Um, I was in Florida a couple of months ago and we were at my grandma's apartment and naturally my dad's phone is plugged in and he's playing some sort of Russian song. And I see my mom and she's sitting there crying and singing along to it. And this is not some behavior that's like normal to my mom. And I look at my dad, I'm like, like, what's wrong? Why is she sad? It was because the song brings back her childhood
0: memories. Yeah. That's why I asked about music. That part, music and art normally don't go away. Like my yeah. dad would still draw, he would still listen and play the piano. So that's what made me think of it. Like that could be a good bonding thing when things get not so easy and she's a little more dependent instead of independent. It's good to just sit with them with the music. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's definitely
2: not independent by any means anymore. She can't do anything for herself. She can't cook. She can't clean. She she can't even dress herself now. So she's definitely very dependent. I bought her coloring books. I sat there coloring with her attention span for it. Not there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Three minutes maximum. Mm -hmm. But it was really cute because it was an adult coloring book. And this is one of those things I want to keep forever because on the inside, it says this book belongs to, and she actually wrote her name in it. And when I saw that, like I got emotional, I'm even getting goosebumps talking about it now because I was like, I want to have that. Mm
0: -hmm. That's really sweet. You know, what else is really important is who your mom was before FTD. So if we could hear about her life before this devastating, I don't want to say the bad words, but you all know what I'm thinking. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, We'd love to hear about who she was. So. Tam you're a Tam Tam
2: pending uh, what nickname she's given that time <laughs> she was born in Odessa Ukraine in the former Soviet Union and she came to America in 1979 there were these big waves of like Jewish Russian immigration that came to America um, the late 70s were that early first wave that's when her family came so she, Finished high school here, went to FIT for college here, and she built a career in the fashion industry. And that was like, her soul was in that work. She used to sell, um, for a long period of time, she sold denim. And she did very well doing sales. She loved it. And she loved all things opulent. You know, if you walk into my parents' house, it looks like it's a museum with all of the art and the decoration and everything is just so glamorous and over the top. And this is very true to my mom. So shopping, big, huge shopper, you know, my dad would joke, he's like, if it weren't for your shopping and your hair, I could have paid off my mortgage at this point.
1: (laughs) But this is how
2: she was like, she always took such great care of herself. She never looked her age, people thought we were sisters. And she was always into like, travel, art culture. That's how we were raised. It was like every weekend as a kid, we're going to some sort of a museum or a show, like a Broadway show. And my dad used to joke with her, like, don't you ever just get tired? Don't you ever just want to not do anything? But that was not an option. She Mm -hmm. sounds so fabulous. She is something else. (laughs) She she is just like so incredibly unique, Mm -hmm. but she, she was fierce. She still is fierce and feisty and loud And she has a presence and she's funny. Like she is hilarious. And that woman has a mouth on her. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I had mentioned like she wasn't very warm necessarily as like a mom, but when it came to my dad, there was this like whole side of her that would come out with him that somewhere buried in this whole like glamorous You know, exterior that she has, she's also kind of mushy. (laughs) And it was my dad that brought it out of her always. Please tell us how they met. They met when they were 17 years old. My parents are the same age at a Russian restaurant in Brooklyn. And when my dad saw her, he knew she was the one. And then they got married when they were 22. Um, You know, they traveled, they lived their young lives. They had me when they were 26, they had my brother at 30.
0: And how would you describe her as a mom? Tough.
2: It was constant, tough love. Expectations and standards were very high. You also have to remember that, you know, my brother and I are the first American born kids in the family. So it's up to us to kind of show everyone that we're success stories And she was pushing us to to fulfill like the American dream because everybody worked so hard to give us this great life that, you know, what do we have to show for it? But again, like fabulous, fierce, and she was a very hard worker. You know, my parents also struggled financially when I was growing up. She was a primary breadwinner. She did anything and everything she could to give my brother and
0: I the best life possible. And what do you miss most about her?
2: It's like, it's really funny, the things that you miss. I miss fighting with her. I really, really miss it. Like, if I could fight with her again, that would mean things are normal. Right. I miss her texting me
1: about whatever, you know,
2: like I, I look at the texts, right? And some of my last texts with her are from that time period where we were fighting right before I stopped talking to them. And I'm like, is that really like the last text message I'm going to have in there? Really? And that's heartbreaking. Um, I miss, like, I miss being able to tell her things because now I really kind of can't. Like, I'm in a new relationship and she still thinks I'm married. Mm. So I had to like sit her down like, mom, you know, I met this guy. He's great. She doesn't retain it. Or I don't know how much of it she's going to retain, you know? And I, I I miss that, you know, being able to share my life with her, my experiences with her, my successes, even my failures.
0: Right. And how do you think she would like to be remembered?
2: As the most perfect, beautiful woman in the entire world. Because that's what she was. (laughs) No, I'm being serious. That is exactly what she was. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, um, just... But like she, she had this aura about her, like her presence was so known. If you ever saw my mom in the street, yes, you would take a second look because she just had that. It's, it's, it's like, um, you know, like the catwalk, right? Like when the models walk and they have this energy about them, that is my mom. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's how she would really want to be remembered as just this like bold, fiery, strong, opinionated person,
0: Sounds like it. it.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I'd love to hear Tammy's words. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to read tonight? Yes. So,
2: a couple of years ago, my parents uh, went on their annual Euro trip to celebrate their anniversary and they went to Greece. Woo! Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Living the good life, right? And at some point during their trip, my mom presents my dad with this gift, and it had a love letter oh. written on it that my dad took a photo of and sent it into the family chat. Gosha. Gosha is my mom's pet name for my dad. Where do I even begin? I remember when we just first met. We were so young. From the moment our paths crossed, I knew you were my soulmate. You surprised me captivated me and challenged me. I want to renew those vows again and pledge my love and life to you just as I did 31 years ago. I promise to be there for you in sickness and in health, in middle age and old age, in good days and bad hair days. My dad is bald, just so you know. Whether you feel fit or out of shape, stressed or happy or grumpy, or when you snore very loud at night, or you're simply Uh, which is Russian for like, you're just behaving bad. (laughs) I promise to nurture and care for you and our kids and our home. I promise to love you, to give my best to you and our family. I promise today, as I did on our wedding day, to love you and cherish you through whatever life brings. I love you today more now than ever before. You and I have changed in the past 31 years. We have matured. We have watched our babies grow up. We have moved, we have had successes and setbacks, and we've weathered many storms. The world around us has changed, but one thing has not changed in 31 years. It's our love for each other. Thank you for being my inspiration, my strength. Thank you for making my hopes and dreams come true. Thank you for choosing me to write our love story together. But most importantly, you are the love of my life and my soul's fire.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We release new episodes each week on Mondays, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Remember Me Podcast. You can sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter and read our blog at remembermeftd.com. You can support our podcast by spreading the word, leaving an Apple review, or buying us a copy. This podcast is produced by Maria Kent Beers and Rachel Martinez, and the beautiful music you hear is a song called So Damn Lucky by Bailey Kent.